Section 1 of On Chronic Alcoholic Intoxication, with an inquiry into the influence of the abuse of alcohol as a predisposing cause of disease. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kurt Walton. On Chronic Alcoholic Intoxication, with an inquiry into the influence of the abuse of alcohol as a predisposing cause of disease by William Marset. Introduction. The therapeutic properties of zinc having become during the last few years a subject of much medical interest, I was induced to commence in 1855 a series of comparative inquiries respecting the action of oxide of zinc in epilepsy, chorea, mild hysteria, paralysis, and lead palsy, cases of exhaustion from excessive mental exertions, and another peculiar chronic disorder of the nervous system which is the subject of the present treaty. It soon became obvious that in certain of the above diseases, the treatment adopted effected a complete recovery or was attended by a very marked improvement that in others it was followed by no material benefit and even in a few instances of hysteria was open to objection i observed that this substance was most remarkably beneficial when given to patients suffering from chronic disorder of the nervous system characterized by sleepiness giddiness headache flying specks passing before the eyes musculae dilatantes noises in the ears, tinnitus aureum, hallucinations, trembling, and want of coordination of the voluntary motions. The disease became frequently accompanied by a morbid condition of the organs of digestion. It then appeared to me probable, and I soon afterwards discovered, that these symptoms were owing to one and the same cause, particularly the excessive use of alcoholic stimulants. I now commenced a series of investigations as to the property of oxide of zinc in controlling and curing the disorder in question, taking notes of the symptoms and other particulars of the cases of this affection admitted under my care at the Westminster Hospital. In December 1858, I communicated to the London Western Medical and Surgical Society a paper showing that oxide of zinc was exceedingly efficacious in the treatment of chronic alcoholic intoxication. An abstracts of this paper were published shortly afterwards in the Medical Times and Gazette, footnote, February 12, 1859, and footnote, and in the Lancet, footnote, April 2, 1859, and footnote. Subsequent observations having fully confirmed the correctness of the above-mentioned results, I have thought it might be useful to publish in its present form an account of the chronic functional disturbance of the nervous system brought on by the abuse of spirituous stimulants and of the treatment adopted in these cases. I was engaged in the preparation of the first edition of the treaty for the press when the valuable publication on alcoholism by magnus huss of stockholm came under my notice in this work the author has fully and accurately described the disease now under consideration it may be observed however that his attention has been more particularly directed to the symptoms and pathology of the disorder while in the present volume comparatively great stress has been laid on the predisposing and immediate causes of the illness and especially on its mode of treatment. In order to be assured of the correctness of my statements, I have confined myself almost exclusively to the results of my own experience, avoiding as much as possible filling up omissions by borrowing from the writings of others. The following, therefore, is a mere sketch of a vast and important subject, but, however incomplete it may be, it will, I trust, be found not altogether devoid of interest and usefulness. Since the publication of my first edition, I have continued giving much attention to the effects resulting from the use and abuse of spirituous stimulants, 
and now beg to offer the reader a few preliminary remarks on the influence of spirituous stimulants on the healthy body. I have also thought it advisable to introduce into the present volume the account of a series of inquiries I have undertaken, in order to ascertain what diseases those who drink too much are principally exposed. These investigations were first published in the British and Foreign Medico-Chirurgical Review for April 1862, under the title An Inquiry into the Influence of the Abuse of Alcohol as a Predisposing Cause of Disease. Several new and interesting cases bearing on chronic alcoholism will be found recorded in this edition. Finally, I have recommended the administration, in some instances, of zinc under a form of solution in water, prepared by acting on carbonate of zinc with carbonic acid. 27 Wimpole Street, October 1862. End of introduction. On the action of alcohol in health. The following observations will apply more particularly to the mode of admission of spiritual stimulants into the body, the effects they produce therein, and the exit or elimination of alcohol from the body. First, introduction of alcohol into the body. Although spirituous stimulants as a beverage are never taken but through the mouth, Still, alcohol occasionally enters the human economy by other channels. It may reach the blood through the lungs in the form of vapor. Very probably also small quantities pass through the skin into the circulating fluid. Individuals who spend their time in public houses from habit or necessity, such as inveterate drinkers, gin palace proprietors, taproom waiters, and also those employed in distilleries or breweries, must imbibe alcohol through the lungs, and probably also, to a small extent, through the skin. It should be remembered that the atmosphere of a public house at the tap or elsewhere is more or less impregnated with the vapors of alcohol. Derived from the partly full liquor glasses, the beer slops which usually soil the counter, and more especially from the breath of the drinkers. The act of hard drinking implies not only the admission into the stomach of large quantities of spirituous liquors, but also the elimination or distillation through the lungs of part of the alcohol the beverage contains. Consequently, those of the company who drink but little, or perhaps not at all, breathe these alcoholic vapors and take them in, the absorption being increased by the great affinity of alcohol for the moist tissues of the lungs. In the case of those present in an atmosphere impregnated with vapors of alcohol, and who have freely partaken of the stimulants, it is difficult to conceive that any but the very smallest quantities can be absorbed by the lungs. Yet the alcoholic vapors in the air must indirectly add to the accumulation of alcohol within the blood by interfering with the diffusion or passage of the vapor of spirits from the blood into the air inspired. The more the air which is breathed is free of alcoholic vapors, the greater must be elimination or loss of alcohol by the lungs. And inversely, the more alcoholic the air respired, the less the elimination of alcohol by the lungs. And this is obviously one of the reasons which account for the fact that Alcoholic intoxication often disappears rapidly by exposure to the open air. It is difficult to prove experimentally this indirect action of alcoholic vapors, but a similar phenomenon is known to take place when the air in spider contains an excess of carbonic acid gas, a substance possessed of highly deleterious properties, so that poisoning by carbonic acid is a phenomenon due partly to the absorption of carbonic acid into the blood through the lungs partly to the obstacle to the elimination through these same organs of the carbonic acid generated within the body. I have attempted to show, in a communication to the Medical Times Gazette, that in cases where chloroform is given, a large quantity of chloroform vapor in the air inspired is doubly dangerous, directly by increasing the amount of anesthetic agent in the blood. 
and indirectly by inferring with the elimination of that which has already been absorbed. Footnote. See the Medical Times Gazette for July 30, 1861. And footnote. Cases of poisoning by alcohol have happened from the introduction of this substance into the body by no other means than the lungs. Footnote. It must be remembered that the whole of the alcohol absorbed by the lungs passes at once into the blood, while there is every reason to believe that but a very small portion of the alcohol taken into the stomach, which proportion, however, may be sufficient to produce intoxication, is absorbed by the blood. End footnote. Such instances, however, are very rare, for it is seldom those engaged in places where the fumes of brandy accumulate largely do not themselves indulge in the baneful practice. And, moreover, it must be admitted that but few individuals are sufficiently predisposed to alcoholic poisoning to be affected merely by the vapors of alcohol. I have witnessed the following instances of disease, owing in all probability to the introduction of alcohol into the blood through the lungs. Beebe, a barman, called at the Westminster Hospital as an outpatient on June 30th, 1859. During the past six months has spent his time closely confined in a public house, is engaged with giving out beer, spirits, etc., from eight in the morning till half past eleven p.m., Sundays included. He has not taken to the habit of drinking, his allowance being half a pint of beer daily, and half a quarter of spirits once a week or a fortnight. He says he cannot take a pint of ale without feeling unwell after it. Previous to being employed in a public house, he never suffered from the symptoms which occasion his visit to the hospital, and could drink a pint and a half of beer without inconvenience. He then followed the trade of a blacksmith, and his health was quite good in every respect. Now complains of general nervous uneasiness, and is subject to a slight trembling in the evening, when in the sitting posture there is occasionally a sensation of numbness in the hands and a formication in the legs. Perceived noises in the ears and is affected with temporary deafness, and is not troubled with hallucinations. He cannot sleep well at night, and slumber disturbed by nightmare. Feels weak in the hips and knees. No pains in the epigastric region. Appetite very bad. Tongue white. Bowels costive. Has suffered more or less, as stated above, for the last three months, and cannot ascribe the attack to any particular cause. This illness is precisely that which would result from the abuse of alcohol. And, as he drank but very little, it is fair to conclude that he was affected by alcohol which entered his body through the lungs, and probably also through the skin. Second, action of alcohol within the body, and its elimination therefrom. We shall consider in succession, first, the local action of alcohol in the membranes with which it comes into contact, and secondly, its influence on the central vital organs. 1. Local or direct action of alcohol. Spiritual stimulants, when swallowed, begin by exerting a local action on the living membrane of the throat, oesophagus and stomach. It is very difficult, if not impossible, to determine, by means of a minute examination, the state of these parts when moistened with an alcoholic fluid. But a correct answer may be obtained to this inquiry by observing, under the microscope, what takes place when alcohol is dropped on the web of a frog's foot. This membrane, being comparatively transparent and abundantly supplied with capillary blood vessels, is peculiarly fitted for the observation in question, and it may be safely inferred that the local action of alcohol on the oesophagus and stomach is similar to that of this fluid on the web of a frog's foot.
Supposing the animal is placed in such a position as will be most convenient for the experiment, one or two of the largest capillaries with its ramifications are brought into the field of microscope. There the blood will be seen circulating at a uniform rate. If alcohol, diluted with 10 or 15 times its bulk of water, be dropped on the frog's foot, the blood will be immediately observed to flow quicker. The corpuscles succeed each other more rapidly in the largest vessels. Smaller branches, which could not previously be seen, become full of blood, apparently spring into existence, and gradually a beautiful network of the finest capillaries is distinctly visible. In the course of a few minutes, the rapidity of the circulation is so far increased that the globules can no longer be distinguished. The result of the inquiry will be very different if, instead of diluted spirits, strong commercial alcohol be dropped on the frog's foot. In this case, the reverse takes place. The capillary vessels appear to contract. The blood corpuscles cluster together, and the circulation quickly becomes sluggish. Gradually, the smallest capillaries disappear, and shortly afterwards, the circulation stops in the largest streams, with a slight oscillatory movement. By washing the web with water, the state of things is not altered, and the circulation cannot possibly be restored. After a few days, ulceration of the web takes place, and in the course of some weeks, it entirely disappears. We conclude by analogy that when weak alcoholic beverages, such as beer or wine, or diluted spirits are taken, the rapidity of the capillary circulation becomes greater throughout the whole of the alimentary canal, from the mouth to the stomach. The rapid flow of blood is necessarily attended with an increased exercise of the functions of these parts. Thus the secretion of saliva is promoted. The mucous fluid which covers the lining membrane of the oesophagus and stomach becomes more abundant. Under the influence of food, the gastric juice is more readily secreted. The absorption of the fluid elements of food is favored, and the digestion thereby improved. I really cannot agree with the advocates of total abstinence, who call this a morbid phenomena, even admitting with Dr. Carpenter that this excitement of the circulation is followed by a reaction or a state of depression. I can hardly admit the strength of this argument, as showing the advantage of total abstinence, for as soon as the digestion is completed, there is no further requirement for a vascular condition of the stomach. On the contrary, it wants complete repose, and I do not see the disadvantage of an exsanguine condition of this organ within certain limits during fasting. It should be understood I am now alluding to the moderate use of weak alcoholic beverages, as beer or wine, at one or two meals only, for I consider it a very injudicious habit with regard to health to drink wine or beer on an empty stomach, and I condemn raw spirits as being most objectionable in every respect as an article of diet. When, instead of a moderate allowance of weak alcoholic stimulants, a large quantity of a fermented beverage or raw spirits are taken, then the action will be of a totally different kind. The liquor now produces morbid effects by greatly reducing the rate of the capillary circulation in the stomach. This phenomenon may be the result of two causes. First, the direct action of strong alcohol in the capillary vessels, illustrated by the experiments on the frog's web I have described. And secondly, the reaction from the stimulation produced by the long-continued contact of alcohol with the living membrane. This reaction Dr. Carpenter considers as a frequent source of those diseases which affect drinkers. After the immoderate use of alcoholic stimulants, especially on an empty stomach, the secretion of mucus will be checked. 
mucous membranes being thereby deprived of their principal protection against the baneful effects of strong spirits. Next, the healthy process of nutrition of the stomach will be modified. The organ losing part of its vitality and becoming exposed to suffer from the chemical action of alcohol on dead animal tissues. Finally, the same loss of functions or deficiency of the vis natura of the stomach is in itself a condition of disease and favors the development of a variety of morbid affections, perhaps allied to the phenomena of gangrene from the stoppage of the circulation after the ligature of a blood vessel. It is but a natural consequence of this depressed state of the circulation under the influence of strong alcohol or of the long-continued abuse of weaker stimulants that the sensibility and motility of the part affected should become diminished. Sensation and motion in a part cannot take place if its circulation be arrested, thus, for example, by placing a ligature round the thoracic aorta of a dog. In operation I have performed on several occasions, the sensation and motion of the animal's body, posterior to the ligature, immediately and entirely disappear, although the nerves which supply these parts are left undisturbed. Therefore, if under the morbid influence of alcoholic stimulants, the circulation of the stomach is checked, partly or entirely, the sensibility and motility of this organ much diminish. When spirituous beverages are drunk in excess at meals, various circumstances contribute to lessen the injurious influence. First, the food the stomach contains mixes with the alcoholic fluid, preventing its rapid action on the stomach and at the same time diluting it by the addition of the water the meat, vegetables, and other solid ingesta contain. Secondly, the gastric juice, an aqueous acid fluid, which is secreted by the stomach in large quantity during digestion, adds greatly to the dilution of the alcoholic fluid. Third, the flow of saliva, a secretion consisting of little more than pure water, taking place actively during meals. Likewise, assist in diluting spirituous stimulants in the stomach. Notwithstanding these circumstances, it frequently happens that an overindulgence in wine or beer at a dinner party proves hurtful. And I believe it is principally by checking the capillary circulation of the stomach, and thereby stopping the flow of gastric juice in the process of digestion and absorption, that indigestion independently of intoxication not unfrequently occurs under these circumstances. As a proof of this, I might remark that in consequence of a late dinner where an excess of wine has been indulged in, symptoms of indigestion will appear next morning after an uncomfortable night, and the food eaten 12 hours previously will be vomited nearly in the same state as when taken, showing that the proper quantity of gastric juice had not been secreted. It is very probable that the presence of much alcohol in the stomach interferes with the normal action of gastric juice on food, but this hypothesis would hardly suffice to account for the food being vomited after many hours, without apparently having undergone any of those changes which we know to be due to the action of gastric juice. Direct or local action on the nerves. When fermented beverages are taken in moderate quantity, it is obvious from the increased rapidity of the circulation they induce in the membranes with which they come into contact that the alcoholic fluid exerts a local action on the nerves ramifying on these membranes. It is difficult to determine the precise seat of this action, but we may surmise that it is exerted principally on the sympathetic this system supplying twigs which accompany arteries into their minutest divisions. If we now bear in mind the fact revealed to us by C. L. Bernard, footnote, 
le concert la physiologique et la pathologique du système nerveux, volume 2, page 493, that, by cutting a branch of the sympathetic nerve, the circulation of the part which is supplied by that nerve is greatly increased, and also that this very same increased rate of circulation takes place where alcohol is present in the stomach. It is but rational to conclude that alcohol, when first absorbed by the minutest blood vessels, has the property of lessening the normal functions of the sympathetic nerves which supply those vessels. Shock. Raw spirits taken suddenly in very large quantities have been known to cause insensibility so rapidly that this could not be accounted for unless by assuming that the influence was owing to a direct action on the extremities of the nerves ramifying on the stomach, producing a shock. We read the following remark at page 41 of Macnish's interesting volume on the anatomy of drunkenness. When a large quantity of intoxicating fluid has been suddenly taken to the stomach, the usual preliminary symptoms of drunkenness do not appear. An instantaneous stupefaction ensues, and the person is at once knocked down. This cannot be imputed to distension of the cerebral vessels, but to a sudden operation on the nervous branches of the stomach. By experimenting on frogs, I have shown in a paper read to the British Association in 1859 that a sudden temporary suspension of sensibility or shock is occasionally brought on when the hind legs of these animals are suddenly immersed in strong alcohol, and I have obtained positive proof that this phenomenon is due to an influence exerted exclusively on the extremities of the nerves supplying those limbs by observing this same effect to take place after the circulation of the parts in contact with alcohol have been entirely arrested. When, on the contrary, the nerves of the limbs immersed in alcohol were severed from the center, the circulation being left undisturbed, a shock never happened. In the experiments in question, it was obvious that the sudden occurrence of insensibility or anesthesia was due to an action of the alcoholic fluid on the extremities of the cerebrospinal nerves, which action had been transmitted by these nerves to the brain. The phenomena of reflex nervous action continued for the respiration appeared unimpaired, and after the lapse of some minutes the shock passed off with the return of sensibility, although the frog's hind legs had not been removed from the alcohol. 2. Influence of alcohol in the central vital organs. By vital organs I mean the heart, lungs, and nervous centers. After entering the circulation at the stomach, alcohol is quickly conveyed to the heart, increasing its action so that the whole circulation becomes more rapid, there is no difficulty in proving this by observing the injected capillaries of the face and the action of the pulse after spirituous stimulants have been taken. At the same time, as a natural consequence of the increased circulation, the respiration becomes quicker, and the secretions, especially that of the kidneys, are excited. From the right side of the heart, alcohol passes into the lungs. On its way through these organs, the blood loses a part and perhaps a large portion of its alcohol, which is displaced by the air inspired, and ejected under the form of vapor with carbonic acid during expiration. This passage of alcohol through the delicate membrane of the lungs, conjointly with the increased action of the heart, keeps the pulmonary circulation in a perpetual abnormal state of excitement, and the lungs become thereby greatly predisposed to disease. The elimination of alcohol from the blood by the lungs is easily demonstrated experimentally by breathing through a solution of chromic acid. After having taken an alcoholic beverage, 
when the red chromic acid solution turns green. The proportion of alcohol expired under the form of vapor must, however, be very small, in comparison with that which has been swallowed, as may be safely inferred from the following experiment. Messrs. Lelamond, Perrin, and Duroy, footnote, du rôle de l'alcool et des anesthetiques dans l'organisme, 1860, and footnote, endeavored to collect the alcohol expired by the lungs of four men who had each of them taken a hundred grams, rather more than three ounces of brandy. Although for this purpose a condensing apparatus of twenty-seven feet in length was used, kept at the temperature of the freezing point, and the experiment made to last four hours, still the fluid obtained the condenser after being submitted to double rectification on quicklime, exhibited but a very weak alcoholic smell, and was not inflammable. This shows that it is an error to conceive that the whole of the alcohol drunk, or even the greater part of it, passes off by the lungs, although it is highly probable that the whole of the alcohol which has been absorbed into the blood is, after a certain time, nearly entirely expired footnote. A small proportion of the alcohol which has passed into the blood is eliminated through the skin, and in the urinary secretion. Lelamon, Perrin, and Duroy. This evaporation of alcohol from the skin has been demonstrated experimentally to the Society of Arts by Dr. Edward Smith, who has given much attention to the physiological action of alcohol stimulants. See Journal of the Society of Arts for January 18, 1861, and the cyclical changes in the human system. End footnote. I cannot help believing that by far the greatest proportion of the alcohol taken by habitual drinkers is not at all absorbed into the blood, but after undergoing certain chemical changes, is eliminated through the intestines with the other excreta. The alcohol remaining in the blood, after circulating through the lungs, is now conveyed to the brain and spinal cord, and the other parts of the body. There exists in the substance of the brain a well-known power of attraction for alcohol, causing this fluid to be taken up by the cerebral matter and accumulated therein, each portion of the blood circulating through the brain and other nervous centers, yielding to them an additional quantity of alcohol. This fact has been discovered by Dr. Percy. Footnote. An experimental inquiry concerning the presence of alcohol in the ventricles of the brain, 1839. End footnote. And confirmed by Messrs. Lelamon, Perrin, and Duroy. The attraction of nervous matter for alcohol would lead us to believe that alcohol acts on the cerebrospinal centers, from its being absorbed into the circulation at the stomach, and carried to the brain and spinal cord by the blood. This I consider I have proved by the researches embodied in my paper to the British Association. I have shown, moreover, that alcohol exerts also an influence on the brain which is transmitted exclusively through the nervous tracts, and that this action may be of two kinds, producing a shock with a temporary suspension of sensibility, or merely giving rise to a weakening process which hastens the fatal termination. Spasms of the glottis. Although my attention has been for many years directed to the action of spirituous stimulants on the human body, I was not aware of the occurrence of asphyxia owing to alcohol-producing spasm of the glottis, until, on accidentally looking into the medico-chirurgical transactions for 1837, I met there with the account of a very interesting case of suspended animation by alcohol attended with symptoms of asphyxia, and where life was saved by tracheotomy. The report is entitled, A Case of Recovery from the Insensibility of Intoxication by the Performance of Tracheotomy, 
by George Sampson, Esquire. The patient, a man aged 31, was brought to Mr. Sampson's house in a state of complete insensibility from intoxication, after having drunk freely of beer and more than a pint of brandy. All voluntary motion had been lost for at least four hours. The stomach pump was first applied. The epicacoena, and afterwards sulfate of zinc, were administered without producing vomiting. The patient's breathing was becoming more and more difficult, and his pulse scarcely perceptible. The body was cold and clammy, and insensible to every kind of stimulant. He was then removed to the infirmary, and a consultation was held with the other medical attendants, who arrived in the course of a half an hour. At that time, every appearance indicated the rapid approach of death. It then occurred to Mr. Sampson, from the shrill tone and extreme difficulty of the respiration, that the comatose state of the patient might be accounted for by collapse or spasm of the glottis, and with this view of the case, Mr. Sampson strongly urged that a trial should be given to the operation of tracheotomy. The operation was accordingly performed, and no sooner was the trachea opened than the distension of the veins about the head and neck subsided. The violent efforts of the respiratory muscles ceased, and in about half an hour regular and easy respiration through the wound was completely established. The case proceeded very satisfactorily. In about three weeks the wound had healed, and the patient was discharged cured. This case is full of interest, for it clearly shows that the fatal termination of poisoning by alcohol may be due to sudden asphyxia from a spasmodic closure of the glottis, a phenomenon similar to that which takes place occasionally from poisoning by carbonic acid and likewise threatening life in certain diseases as epilepsy, laryngismus stridulus, and whooping cough. In the following case reported by Dr. Ogston, footnote, Edinburgh Medical and Surgical Journal, 1833, end footnote, it appears probable that the final cause of death was asphyxia from the spasm of the glottis. A.W. came home one night much intoxicated, as was his usual practice. Before he could be got to bed, he became sick and vomited a little and afterwards small quantities through the night. During the first part of the night he was restless, slept little, and when awake appeared confused, and unable or unwilling to give any account of his feeling. After this he took more spirits. Towards the morning he became very cold and fell into what was considered a sound sleep. But he was soon observed to breathe heavily, and could not be awakened. His relatives becoming alarmed called in Dr. Ogston at nine o'clock. The patient's pupils were dilated, pulse imperceptible, profound coma, extremities very cold, face pale, breathing laborious. His chest began to heave convulsively. He threw out his arms rapidly, withdrawing them suddenly. The lips became blue, and in a few minutes he expired. Some spasmodic twitchings of the Muscles of the face were noticed an instant or two before death. At the post-mortem examination of the body, it was found that both lungs were congested with a dark, fluid blood. A dark blood was found in the ventricles of the heart. The blood of the veins generally was fluid and dark-colored. Mode of death from alcohol, post-mortem appearance. The instances reported of death from acute poisoning by alcohol are not very numerous. Roish, in his book on the abuse of spirituous stimulants, Footnote. De labus des boissons spirituosis, page 67, and footnote, relates an instance of death from alcoholism narrated by Dr. Hardham. A boy five years old, after drinking a large quantity of brandy, was carried away in a state of complete stupor. 
When placed on his legs, he fell, and when on the ground, pure brandy flowed out of his mouth. After some time, he vomited, without, however, being relieved, and in consciousness did not return. Towards ten o'clock in the evening, there is no statement as to the hour when the brandy was drunk, he suddenly became cold and had an attack of shivering, uttering slight groans. Finally, he died in convulsions at four o'clock in the morning. Dr. Oxton cites several causes of death from alcohol and reports minutely on the condition of the organs after death. Dr. Peters of New York states that he has examined the bodies of nearly 70 persons who had died from the excessive use of ardent spirits. Footnote. On the Pathological Effects of Alcohol by John C. Peters, M.D., New York Journal of Medicine, Volume 3, and footnote. With respect to the postmortem appearances after death from acute poisoning by alcohol, we may conclude with Dr. Carpenter that they usually resemble more or less closely those of asphyxia, the right side of the heart, the pulmonary arteries, and the systemic veins being loaded with blood, whilst the left cavities in the arterial system are comparatively empty, the blood which they contain being dark. The actual cause of death from alcohol must be, consequently, a state of paralysis of the muscles of respiration, preventing the normal expansion of the lungs, and thereby the entrance of air into these organs, as in the case of narcotic poisons in general, or else the presence of alcohol in the circulation, by interfering with or checking the action of air on the blood within the circulation gives rise to a morbid condition incompatible with the maintenance of life. Physiological experiments show that both these phenomena may be the ultimate causes of death from alcohol. For, according to Humboldt, if the crural nerve of a frog be dipped in alcohol, the period of excitement produced at first is soon succeeded by paralysis, so that the limb can no longer be excited in contraction by galvanizing that nerve. Now, if we consider the known power of cerebrospinal nerves of accumulating alcohol within their tissue, it may safely be inferred from Humboldt's experiment that the normal influence of the nervous centers on the muscles of respiration become gradually annihilated, and death ensues by slow asphyxia. This is, in fact, the usual explanation of death from alcohol. It has been shown, however, by Bochardet and Sandrus, footnote, on the digestion of alcoholic fluids and their office in nutrition, British and Foreign Medico Chirurgical Review, Volume 2, 1847, and footnote, that the presence of alcohol in the blood interferes with or prevents the due aeration of this fluid, so that the blood corpuscles no longer undergo their normal change from dark to bright red, the dark color being permanent. It should seem, therefore, that although oxygen is absorbed from the air, as in the normal process of respiration, yet it fails to act on the blood corpuscles, bringing on a condition perfectly similar to that resulting from asphyxia. Admitting that, in some cases, death results from the impediment offered by alcohol to the influence and oxygen of the blood corpuscles, this would explain the occasional occurrence of spasms of the glottis. For, in those conditions which prevent the normal action of air upon the blood corpuscles, as in the case of asphyxia, from drowning spasm of the glottis occurs, and even a secondary contraction of the glottis may take place during recovery from drowning. Footnote. See a letter by the author to the Medical Times Gazette for February 1857. End footnote. End of section 1.